Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I am joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we've had a slew of transactions over the last week or so uh, between two-way deals, 10-day deals, rest of seasons, which have been converted from two-way. Um, so let's start with which ones have stuck out to you more so than some others? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of these deals, when they kind of go down, what ends up happening is they, they're all end-of-the-bench roster shuffling type, type things, and a lot of them – they, they don't really stand out until later when it's like, oh gosh, like I should have been paying more attention to that. A very famous example of that was uh, Duncan Robinson uh, with the Miami Heat. He, he was a very end of the year, uh, let's get this guy up, let's get him onto a contract kind of thing. And, and a lot of people are like, all right, great, a GUA kind of call up guy. And then he bust out and became one of the heat's more important players in a couple of different finals runs. So that's something I always try to remind people like they, they all matter, right? Even, even if we're <clears throat> not overly focused on some of them, they do matter. That said, <clears throat> there are a few that matter more now uh, moving forward. So I think DeLon Wright uh, to stick with the heat theme that that's a big one. I, after getting waived from the wizards, Miami just needs backcourt depth right now. They, they're without Josh Richardson is out. Uh, they're also uh, without Terry Rozier. Those two guys will see when they get back into the lineup, but they're both out. So they needed just somebody else who could come in and be a uh, reasonable ball handler for them. That wasn't a two-way guy. And, and that's what DeLon Wright will give them. So I think he's really going to help. I think there's a world where Danilo Gallinari will help the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they, they think they, they can put him in lineups where if they almost play him kind of like Burke Lopez-ish, where it's just, hey, just worry about defending and drop coverage and hitting shots on the other end of the floor, then that, that can work against backup units. But if they're uh, worried about getting a whole lot of uh, you know, really productive, uh, meaningful minutes out of Gallinari, I'm just not sure that's going to be a thing. I don't think he's got the legs left for that. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, one that really stands out for me is uh, Dwap Reith uh, gets a three-year deal from the Portland Trailblazers. One, he's got a super cool story about how his family uh, escaped um, a lot of the uh, stuff, war in that, uh, in uh, uh, his home country in Africa and uh, emigrated to Australia, really made himself into a player over there came to Portland on kind of a flyer deal of, yeah, let's see what it looks like. And, and then they were like, all right, this guy's good enough to keep around on a two way. Then with various injuries in their front court, <clears throat> it became, let's play this guy all the time. And he has played and played well and been uh, now a key member. And now Portland, uh, which is in a spot where I don't think a lot of people realize just how expensive that trailblazers team is, uh, which is really kind of untenable for a bad team. But now they have wreath on a contract that's going to pay him essentially over the minimum this year, but then the minimum the next couple of years are right around that amount. And that's huge uh, going forward for them because that they they get a productive uh, backup center uh, for very little money, and that that's good for a team that needs to rebalance their books a little bit. Yeah, I ran some numbers, Keith, and I was curious because it just seems like, and we talked about it last week. There's just a slew of 
transactions right now between the 10 day, the two way, these rest of seasons that are being converted or not converted. Um, so I ran some numbers, the 10 day contracts, uh, in 2023, uh, 20 total uh, transactions from January 1st until February 23rd of 23, but only six of them had been since the trade deadline. When I look at this year, there were 27 transactions since January 1st. However, 15 are since the trade deadline. So the 10 days are have over doubled compared to last year, this time up through the trade deadline. Um, the two ways, there were a total of 10 since January 1st and 15 for 2024. And again, those were up again since the trade deadline through today. Uh, they were up by three from six to nine. And then the rest of season contracts, which was interesting, was through now uh, from January 1st, there were 17 rest of seasons. Uh, this season, there's only been 15, but I know there's still some time uh, to come. But the, the number of two years was up by two. So we're seeing a little bit of an increase in the rest of season. But these 10 days and the two ways are definitely up in comparison to last year. I'm curious of your thoughts on that. Do you think this is a um, a consequence of adding the third two-way now that the teams can uh, shuffle shuffle things around, allowing them to sign a, a two-way if they waive a player, they're able to shift that two-way player into a rest of season and then sign a new two-way? Um, what are your thoughts on the increase of these two ways and 10 days right now? Yeah, I, I think they work hand in hand, uh, both of them. I, I think what we're seeing is, one, more teams this year kept open roster spots than ever, than, than I can ever remember. And it was, it has to be in direct relation to the two-way guys, is if you have a third two-way, there's no reason to really have a guy in the just-in-case spot at the end of your bench in November, December, the beginning part of January. They're They're just teams were leaving those spots open whether it was the really expensive teams and that's a way to save you know we've talked about it before like the warriors just filling with a veteran minimum guy every dollar they spend is going to cost them like five or six in real dollars so that is you know you sign a guy for a two million dollar veteran minimum deal at the end of your bench that really ends up costing you like 12 million dollars in real money so that's just something that they they don't want to do unless they really have to so having that third two-way gives you that ability where it is geez you know we're down four guys tonight uh due to injuries illness whatever uh we can call up the the two-way guys fill throw them in at the end of the bench and if we need them we have them and if we don't we're good so i think that's the first part of this the second part of this is we've had some changes in the way two-way contracts work which i think is driving more two-way movement it used to be January 15th was the last day to sign a player to a two-way contract. Now in the new CBA, that's moved to March 4th. So what we've seen is not only are teams uh, making a bunch of two-way moves around the guarantee date uh, deadline, which is the same as it is for a standard contract. It's January 10th, but really it's January 7th. They have to waive a guy. Um, so we saw a bunch of two-way movement then, but now what we're seeing is, all right, let's do more of this two-way movement. And what ends up happening is you come out of the trade deadline and you had a bunch of teams that were 
All right, we sat on an open roster spot. Then you have additional teams, <clears throat> excuse me, like the New York Knicks, who were uh, did a, a unbalanced trade or a couple of unbalanced trades, and they ended up with three open roster spots. So that leads to, all right, we want to do one of two things in those situations. Either we have to fill those open roster spots because uh, you only have 14 days that you can be under 14 players. Um total on your roster so that's 14 days at a time or you have up until uh or i'm sorry up into a total of 28 days that you can have under 14 players for the entire season that was that was a change in this cba <clears throat> so in that case uh what you have happening here is the teams like the knicks said all right we've got to fill so they fill with some 10 days other teams looked and said we got to fill. We like player X who's on a two-way deal. Let's convert him to a standard deal. Then that opens up a two-way deal. And we fill fill that backfill that two-way spot with a player. And now we're roughly 10-ish days out from the two-way deadline. So what's happened there is the team start looking and they start saying, all right, well, here we are with the two-way deadlines looming. Let's try to do our shuffles here of if we really like player X, maybe there's one or two things, right? Either we're running out of games for that player where we, we don't have uh, any more games left on their uh, 50 game or prorated 50 game uh, NBA active amount. So let's make a move that way. Or the other thing that teams do is let's take a look and let's get into a position where it is. We really like the player and we don't want to mess around with restricted free agency for them. So let's get them converted to a standard deal or assigned to a standard deal and we, we pull it out that way. So it's, it's really a combination of all the stuff that's added into this point where we've had an extremely busy period of just roster shuffling uh, down the stretch after the trade deadline, where normally it's, it's a handful of buyout guys and then a few 10 days. And now it's turned into 10 days, two ways and all the buyout movement as well. Yeah, and the buyout movement really hasn't been as much as it's been in the past. If if I'm reading these uh, the contracts correctly, I mean it's been what you know, Lowry, uh, Gallinari, but he wasn't really a buyout. He was just a straight waiver. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anyone yeah. Even else that Delon really Wright and Dad Young, those guys are straight waivers. They weren't right. buyouts. So yeah, I think we're seeing a lot less players willing to give up money uh, in the buyout spots. Lowry, we all knew that was coming. Uh, the minute he was traded to Charlotte, right? They 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 all openly said that, like, hey, we're we're gonna work on, uh, you know, something here. And I think Charlotte played it right. They they went through the trade deadline to see, all right, is there someone who wants to trade for Kyle Lowry? When that didn't happen, shortly after the deadline, they went. The one that everybody's kind of got their eyes on, uh, and there is a there there is an upcoming date here in in a little less than a week is uh, Marcus Morris. Um, he's still on the Spurs and people keep asking, you know, I keep getting it every, every day or so on Twitter. I'm like, Hey, you know, when is Marcus Morris going to sign with the Timberwolves? Uh, because that's what his former teammate, Patrick Beverly reported, um, is, you know, Morris is going to sign with the Wolves. And I keep saying, I don't know, he's got to get waived by the Spurs first. And that could be a situation where Morris is basically saying, I don't really want to give give up any money and what you often see in a buyout is especially an in-season buyout like this 
guys will give up whatever the prorated amount that they're going to make back is. So Morris, let's say he's going to make roughly a million dollars on a prorated contract the rest of the season. He would take a million off his Spurs money, saves the Spurs a million dollars. And then what happens is he, he doesn't lose any money because he's going to make that up in his next deal. But he may be looking at it and saying, hey, I don't know that I'm going to get another big contract. So I'd rather just keep my money. And the Spurs may be looking at it and saying, great, if you're not giving anything back, you can stay home and just be there because we don't, your contract expires at the end of the year where we have no intentions or need to play you. So that's where it is. Usually it comes down to the players like, I still want to play and I want to compete. And that's where it goes. But for now, the Timberwolves at least said, you know, we're moving on where we're going to fill an open spot with Justin Jackson uh, on a two way or on a 10 day contract as a G league call up. And, and they did that and they're, they're moving in that direction. But yeah, that's the buyout market this year has been really pretty quiet in terms of guys. But I think a lot of that was you didn't have a lot of guys get traded in the, 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 the kind of typical pre buyout trade like you did with Lowry, which was a veteran get traded to a team that doesn't really want them. And then I guess Spencer Dinwiddie, we should put in there too, because he was also a straight waiver and then immediately signed with the Lakers. But it, it's it's really been been a little more quiet on that end. And that's also where I like to use the reminder of, you know, guys that are available on the buyout market, generally they're more named than game because they just don't always have a whole lot left. And that's kind of the reason they're available. The last thing I'll mention with these recent transactions that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed as well, is teams are taking advantage of their uh, MLEs that are left over to sign some of these guys instead of just, you know, signing it to a one-year minimum prorated. They're, you know, paying some of their guys these two-way guys that they're they're giving a little bump to, where they're making more in the first year and then giving maybe minimums in three, two, three, and four years, but. I've noticed when we put these in that they're they're using these MLE leftover money uh, to sign these guys. Uh, obviously, that's that's a, a, a tap on the shoulder of yes, we want to have you, and here's a, here's a bonus. Correct? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, it is a chance to pay them a little bit of a bump over just here's the prorated minimum deal the rest of this year, and that that often what players will do we used to see this this is kind of why the nba uh, introduced in this cba they introduced the um second round pick exception because what we used to see was teams would give on one of those deals they'd use a part of an exception or they'd use some cap space to give the guys a little bump like like generally you know 500,000 to a million dollars in in year 1 maybe a little bit in year 2 in exchange for a couple years at the end of the contract at the minimum, but under team control, either non-guaranteed a team option, or in some cases, a team option that turned into a non-guaranteed deal. So what we've seen happen, one, was the league came in and said, look, if everybody's going to be doing this, and big part of the CBA was let's introduce more spending power in for the teams that have their exceptions and the teams that have cap space, you don't have to carve out $2 million out of an exception anymore. Let's create the second round pick exception, which basically mirrors exactly what everybody was doing anyway. And we go now that can only be used to sign a second round pick. 
So in the case of some of these guys, they're they're already signed. They're signed to a two-way contract or or whatever. So now what teams have done is they're basically saying, all right, we've got a chunk of our non-taxpayer mid-level, which that's generally the exception they use. Like Memphis did this for both Vince Williams and Gigi Jackson, who are on two ways. Uh, this is how Portland signed Dwap Reith as well. And there's a few others where it is, we're going to basically mirror that same kind of thing. We're going to give you a bump. But on the back end, we want a year uh, or two years where we've got some control. We, we've got some team control, and that that's what they're doing with this. Now, what's going to be interesting, next season, teams can use the non-taxpayer mid-level like a trade exception. So if they wanted to go trade for a $12 million player, uh, they would be able to do that. And I'm very curious to see how that changes things and if that changes the dynamic of – do teams sit on it and not use it? Do teams uh, use it like a trade exception? Or does it still largely play out the way it has? My guess is it's probably a mixture of the three. And, of course, you'll have a handful of teams who will use it in the offseason as as what's really intended uh, to sign players as well. But it's this is all good stuff from a flexibility standpoint. I don't know in talking to a lot of agents, especially the agents who represent guys who are more they're, they're back end of the roster guys. They don't love this whole third two-way in general because they, it has reduced the number of 10-day contracts and the like until this point in the year. So so there's a little bit of concern there, but uh, the CBA has protections where if teams don't average uh, X amount of 14 players um, on the roster you know, for X amount of time, that there there is in the CBA, the union can say no more third two-way it goes away so so we're, we're gonna keep being kind of the test and adjust period for probably another couple of years on this but it's it certainly made uh made for a busier week or so post deadline than i think you and i expected to have absolutely definitely <laughs> surprised that's why we led with this and all the different transactions uh isaiah stewart was suspended three games he will lose just under $109,000 for the three-game suspension for his altercation in in Phoenix. Uh, any thoughts on the suspension, Keith? I, not so much the money part beyond, hey, if you're Isaiah Stewart, do it now before your extension kicks in. It costs you a lot less money, right. I, I guess. Um, you know, But I, I think the bigger part of it, what's really interesting to me is with this uh, suspension is this is – it, the NBA used to hand out one game suspensions for stuff like this pretty regularly where it'd be, all right, you got a little bit of a fight or whatever. This one, I think there's two things at play. One, Stewart has a little bit of a history. Uh, we all remember the very visible uh, altercation with LeBron James where he really went after him, was trying to get, get to him to fight him after catching an elbow. Um, so that was one part of it. The other part for Stewart is, there's been some other minor things. A lot of it's been in-game stuff um, where, you know, he's just kind of got into it with some guys and all this. But I think what the NBA is doing with this three-game suspension is one part is, hey, this stuff can't be happening off the court. I know it's like a weird delineation of, hey, you get into it with a guy and you punch him in-game. Like, it's it's just kind of seems to be almost accepted, right, of like, hey, we're, 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 we're going to live with it a little bit. Um so that that's part of it. Things happen when guys get competing. I think the other part with um, Stewart, though, is I think what we see here is 
this is the league now at, in the wake of the Draymond Green uh, suspensions is we're not dealing with this. Like if you're going to become a repeat offender, you're going to get punished harsher each time around. And I think that's the a little bit of a message they're maybe sending here is we're no longer just going to hit you with one game and call it good. We're going to really go after you here and try to make, make this something where you need, you, you can't be doing this. This needs to get figured out. So, you know, Stewart loses a good chunk of change and hopefully this doesn't become a thing for him moving forward. P.J. Tucker was fined $75,000 for his public comments about wanting to be traded. Uh, I find that that fine interesting because in the past few years, we've seen players uh, requesting trades, and maybe it wasn't as publicly to the media as Tucker was, but you know Durant, his issues with Brooklyn and wanting to be out, and Harden wanting to be out. They didn't get fined for their their comments. So, uh, what what is the precedence here that Tucker is getting fined seventy five thousand dollars? And um, is that the maximum that he could have been fined? It's not the maximum. I want to. I, I, it's funny. I was just trying to look it up. I think it was one hundred and twenty-five thousand. I think is the max they can go to. It may be one hundred and fifty. I, I I'm struggling to find it in the in the CBA. But they did. They they did put it in in writing this year, and they all agreed to. Hey, public trade requests. Like we we can we can drill you. We we can we can pop you with a uh, with, with a thing. So um. I think this is the league kind of saying like, Hey, we get it. Like we understand where you're coming from, but if we're going to have this rule, we, we have to have the rule. We, you can't be out there saying I want traded and I want to do this and I want to do that. So, so I think it is uh very um, clear that it is, um, it is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to, this is not going to be a thing We're we're going to hit you you know, with these fines, if you come out and make these kind of requests and, and, but we, we didn't, we didn't come down with the max on you, right? We, we didn't come all the way down with the, the full hammer. We, we kind of gave you the little tap of, of a fine here, but I, I kind of like the idea with the NBA basically saying um, like, yeah, Hey, we're, we, we made the rule. Like we can't be making rules if we're not going to enforce them. And I, and I think that's, that's a, that, that's a smart decision from, from their side. Yeah, hundred fifty thousand, Keith. I just found it. Okay, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't get my eyes on it, and I'm yep. like trying to look for it. But yeah, yeah. So they hit him with half, right? So it's kind of like, all right, we get it, but like, don't do this. Then now, you know, again, sends a little bit of message to everybody of like, hey, even if you're end of the bench veteran that that we all understand what's going on, you still can't openly talk about this like he did, and and he was he, he was pretty open uh, in, in what he said, where it was like, no, nah, I don't want like if I'm not going to play. You know, I want to be traded, like trade me. So, and it wasn't even a, I think even had he said a modified version of that, of like, hey, if they don't want me here, like, let's figure something out. Like that may not have got him there. It was, I think, actually uttering the words of like, I want to trade. I think that's what got him. Mike Conley signed a two-year, $21 million veteran extension in Minnesota, which leads us into our last section here, Keith. Uh, We're going to mix the Conley extension with a, What's next, Minnesota? I gave you homework last week, and you are coming through. You're just waiting for the final details on Connolly to finish off the piece so you can have the exact numbers as far as tax and all that for the foreseeable future. Um, so let's start with the Conley deal, and then we can dive into what's next for Minnesota. Uh, so is on 
the surface level, since we don't have the exacts, if it's uh, decreasing, increasing, flat, anything like that, from a 2-for-21 extension, is this a good deal for Minnesota and Mike Conley? Is it a win-win? Yeah, incredible deal for both of them. One, and I get it, right? I went immediately to the whole tweet of, like, the Wolves have, you know, X amount locked in for, you know, nine players or whatever it is for next year. But the important part is Minnesota had no certainty at the point guard position beyond this season because Mike Conley's a free agent. Uh, they, They also, Monte Morris, who they acquired at the trade deadline, is a free agent, and Jordan McLaughlin, who is now their, he had been their backup point guard, is now the third point guard, he is also a free agent. So, and it's been, if you've watched the Wolves this year, they've been a great story. They've been a lot of fun. It's really awesome to see how well they're playing. Uh, But anytime Mike Conley is off the floor, whether it is he misses a game or he's off the floor just for general rest, they tend to get a little sideways um, with, with their offense. It gets a little wild. What he does is, he just comes in and he settles. And it's not that this is not a criticism of Anthony Edwards or Carnathan Towns because those guys are the main offensive engines. But when Conley's not out there, those two guys are, all right, I, I got to do more because he's not out here. Let, let me take over. And the way they take over is by trying to score. When Conley's out there, Conley's like, uh, hey, Rudy Gobert is busting his tail on defense and has run the floor hard the last you know 10 trips. Let's make sure we get him a touch on offense. Uh, Jade McDaniels has been standing in the corner for you know six straight possessions. Let's make sure we get him a shot. He just makes sure everything stays more balanced and that it flows and everything looks pretty good. So with that said, now you're taking his this year contract number from $24 million, which that's the, the uh, extension number that he had signed with the Jazz uh, a couple years ago. That basically gets cut in half or more uh, in this new deal. Like you said, we don't know the full structure yet. Uh, Just for anybody wondering, we always assume it's a uh, regular standard contract, which starts low and then goes up uh, on on SpotTrack, unless we have reporting that tells us otherwise, until we actually know what the real details are. And the way you know it's an estimated contract, it's in purple and it says estimated because uh, they get people, <laughs> people ask regularly. So it's uh it should be pretty clear. Um, but then we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fix it and it'll go into the regular, uh, you know, set once we know, know the real numbers. And that generally comes within a few days of the signing. So in Conley's case, you basically cut his number in half. Yes. Wildly expensive team. They have, uh, let me just go, go through it here on the fly real quick. If we plug in, 10.2-ish million for Conley. They've got $184 million locked in for nine players next year. That's against a uh, projected uh, luxury tax line of $171 million, so blown way past that. A first apron of $178.6 million, so you're over the first apron, and you're only about $5.5 million under the second apron. And that $5.5 million doesn't really matter being under because like you said, that's only nine players. So you still got to fill out a minimum of uh, five roster spots. So you're going to end up up and over the second apron. Couple things with that, right? Conley, great value for him at $10 million. Even if he's slowing down, he's not a 30-minute-a-night point guard anymore. He's probably more, by by year two of this extension, he'll probably be more of a 24, 25-minute-a-night guy. But this year, shooting 44% from the field in a ridiculous, ridiculous 44% from three. 
Uh, so, I mean, really just, he's been an absolute sharpshooter, 6.4 assists, just gives them everything that they need at that point guard position. And he's been healthy. He's played in 50 games uh, this year for, for the Timberwolves. The games he's missed have largely been, hey, we're going to you know rest type situations at his age. So you lock him in for this two-year extension. He, you, you have him on the books and, and it just, it, it should be good for them to have that cost certainty, even if you now are a really expensive team. And that's kind of where I think we'll go next. I mean, if you're a fan of Minnesota, Keith, you, you can't balk at the transactions that this team has done, even under the new regime, you know, they brought in Gobert, they've extended Nas Reed. They did an extension with Jaden McDaniels. They made some trades. They, uh, they, they've done a, a slew of different things, including Anthony Edwards with the maximum, which we, we knew was going to happen, yep. you know, and still not written. That could end up being a 30% max too. We, right. We Absolutely. Yep. Which that would take their tax amount up even more. But yep. you, if you are a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, you, for the, drudgery that they've been through in the past they're at least making moves and trying to continue to win they're at the top of the standings right now uh yes their their money is is uh you know going to be an eyesore for the foreseeable future which is what you're going to do with your what's next minnesota but i think if you're a, a timberwolves fan you'd rather have this situation than being at the bottom every single season and you're out of it by this time every year. Absolutely. I say this all the time. Fans should not care about how much the team costs as far as, you know, billionaire owners and billionaire ownership groups have to write hundred million dollar checks that that's something they should just, you know, who cares, right? That, that it's not your money. It doesn't matter to you. Now I get it. Cause it could get passed on in terms of ticket prices and merchandise and all that other stuff. I get that part of it. It's not quite that simple, but where you do need to care is an understanding. If the Timberwolves are over the second apron, they will be in a position where they are going to be hamstrung on how they build out this roster moving forward that's what becomes different these second apron restrictions are so uh harsh on these teams that you are literally down to making dollar for dollar trades and you can't you can't aggregate so they can't take jade mcdaniel's 22 and a half million next year and put it with nas reed's 14 million and go get a 40 million dollar player that can't happen if they are a second apron team so that part gets gets you know tough. They're going to have to really work on that. Then the other part that that we always you know, want fans to understand is you're then limited to no exceptions. So you're signing your own draft picks, of which Minnesota doesn't have a lot because they gave up a bunch of them uh, to go get Rudy Gobert. So that's part part one of that. Or signing guys to minimum contracts, and now that'll probably be what you're going to see is a bench that is filled out with minimum guys. It's okay because they've got pretty good depth, especially with Conley in the fold. We'll see what happens with guys like Morris and McLaughlin and even Kyle Anderson, who's a key reserve. He's a free agent. Do they bring him back? One other thing that's worth mentioning too, you do not need to handle your luxury tax issues or apron issues or any of that stuff in full at the start of the season. If they go into the season and say, Hey, all right, we're a second apron team. We're going to deal with this. We know what it is. 
like it, you know, we're, we're going to fill out with minimums and that's going to be how it goes. Or we'll resign a couple of these guys. They have all the way until really the trade deadline. It's the end of the season, but it's really the trade deadline to figure out, all right, how are we going to get out of the apron? Like, what, what are we going to do here? How are we going to make this work? And I think what's important to know with that is when you get there, then that could be where let's say this year finishes not as well as they want and next year's not going so great, then you can have the conversation of, all right, do we need to make a trade to rebalance our books a little bit, alleviate some of this pressure and go? But you don't have to make any of those decisions for a year. You're you're in a really good place now where even though you are very, very expensive, this is also the team is set up to have one of their best runs that they've ever had since the Kevin Garnett era. And in the Kevin Garnett era, we have to go all the way back to 2004 and i double checked this to make sure this is sure is is correct that is the only time the minnesota timberwolves in franchise history a franchise that has existed since the 1989-90 season that 2004 run to the western conference finals is the only season in franchise history where they've won a playoff series (laughs) even though they made the playoffs a bunch of times with kg they never won a playoff series until that run. And then the handful of times they've made it over the last few years, they 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 lost in the first round. Is it that's incredible, right? Like, yeah, that's like the Detroit Lions where they've been in the playoffs, but they hadn't won, and then all of a sudden they won this year, yep. you know, to get over that hump. So very, very similar in that case. Uh the, the moves that could be made, Keith, I mean I hate to bring him up because he seems to come up every single time someone wants to talk about trades with the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves is Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, his, his contract next year goes up to $49.4 million. And so, um, you know, from a matching standpoint, they're going to have to bring back some players if they were to ship him off, unless, you know, one of those projected cap space teams wants to just acquire him (laughs) outright and then send back as many picks as they sent to get Rudy Gobert. But, you know, I I just find this team so fascinating where they've made a complete 180 where they brought in Rudy Gobert and in last season, it was a complete train wreck with how they were utilizing him and Towns. And then this season there, things are just, you know, working as well as a well-oiled machine. Um, so is it the the coaching staff that has really figured out how to utilize both of these players, or is it more uh, that you know Towns is going to be the one on on the outs because Gobert does have a shorter term, his salaries are on the lower side. Uh, you watch all these games way more than me, so what is your sense of what's going to give, or is do you think Towns and Gobert? are a match for the foreseeable future with this team. Yeah, it's really interesting. So what happened, if we go back to last season, everybody, I think, knew it was going to take some adjustment, right? You're you're playing two guys that have primarily been centers together, and it was just going to take a little while. And on top of that, you have this uh, really, really, really good high-usage young guard who needs the ball a lot, needs to do a lot of stuff. So I think what becomes really interesting when we look at that situation was as they were just starting to kind of figure it out. All right, this is how to balance the floor with Gobert and Towns. This is how we balance lineups with the two guys and all those things. Towns got hurt. And then it was, all right, well, we're going to become a whole 
different team here. We're going to really, Anthony Edwards is going to be the guy uh, moving forward. And, you know, he's, he's going to run everything through him and all of that. So it turned into Towns comes back and you almost had to start the process over again. And they just, they never really found any kind of rhythm or traction. This year they come in, it was a lot, hey, now we can build off the stuff that kind of worked last year. Edwards is now a full-blown superstar. We now have Conley for the full season. We've got Jaden McDaniels. The guys are locked into contracts, so nobody's playing for a deal. Like, we're really able to just kind of go out and do our thing, and it really is working, I mean, better than I think anybody envisioned, except for maybe the Timberwolves front office group. So I think what's going to happen is, I don't think we're at a spot where it is we got to trade Carl Anthony Towns. This isn't working or anything like that. The caveat I'll give to that is let's say they do finish as the one or two seed and they get, let's say they get embarrassingly swept in the first round by a lower seeded team. It's, you know, whether the Warriors, the Lakers, the you know, Kings, whoever it is that ends up in that spot uh, there in, in the seven or eight seed. If that happens, then maybe you start to have some, some conversations of, all right, we're really expensive. That didn't go the way we thought it would go. But I think if you're the Wolves, this is going to be, hey, let's, as a new ownership group, yes, we had some challenges getting over the finish line. But what you know what? We can always split off a little bit more and bring in another investor or two and go that way. And on top of that, as very many folks in Minnesota have pointed out to me, the Wolves are looking to build a new arena. And the last thing you want to do whenever, because we all know how these arena things go, they, it, you start asking the public to pay for a big chunk of it. The last thing you want to do is say, hey, help us build a new arena and this really fun team that's maybe one of the best teams we've ever had and best set up in franchise history, we're going to actually start to tear it apart because it's too expensive. Like that's going to go over like a lead balloon. So I think what you do now is it's going to be the conversation turns into, all right, Let's just see it through. And we're we're going to give this this playoff run. We're going to give it the beginning part of next year. And then if it's not working, maybe then we start having the conversation around the trade deadline of how do we rework this? How do we get out of this uh, spot? That's a great point with the stadium, Keith, because that's exactly what happened with Golden State. They were in the yep. middle of building that new arena. Their tax is getting higher. And now, now that they're in the new arena and, and we're a few years out of that, now we're starting to hear the the ownership saying, "Well, I don't really want to have to pay this tax repeater." <laughs> yeah. in, in you know, a couple of years ago, it was, "Oh, we're, we're okay with it. We're we're going to keep moving forward." But now the the tune is slowly starting to change over there. So it may and, be a... and I'll add to that if I can, Scott. Yep. You're also uh, you're floating down around 500 in the play-in tournament, and you're not the top of the conference in the right. in the title favorite. So that that I think also uh, very much factors into. Uh, all right, I'm okay with paying the tax, and that's again, if all you can really ask for from an ownership group, I think at the end of the day is sign the checks and stay out of the way. Right, let people do their thing, and when we're good. And we have a real chance to win a title, which Minnesota does right now. They they are one hundred percent a title contender. Pay, pay for it. You know, pay for us to have that chance. And then if if things go a little different, then they go a little bit different, and we 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 can you know figure it out. But yeah, it's uh, I, I think we're in a really fun spot for the Wolves just with everything going on. But by far and away, the most fun part is what's going on on the floor right now. I mean, they just look terrific. 
All right, Keith's piece should be up either this afternoon, today is Friday, so this afternoon or tomorrow. We're waiting for the Conley details to drop, as we've already mentioned. Um, Keith, what else is next for you besides uh, finishing off this Minnesota piece? Yeah, I think I'm going to start diving into some next contract, guys. Um, I may uh, go out and do do a little crowdsourcing on seeing. I've got a list of guys, but I'm curious who, who people want to read about. That's always a... Uh, uh, a nice way to make sure we're delivering content people want um, there, but but we've got some of that going on with, with the next contract stuff. I may do a little bit of a look at some of the trade deadline fallout and in that, and you know, do, doing just almost a little reset on a handful of teams. We we did the big spending power uh, reset and what that looks like, and that'll be that is now a constant uh, test and adjustment game of trying to forecast, you know, which teams will have cap space, who's going to be facing the second apron, who's going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And a lot of that comes into focus after the playoffs and the like. And then it sounds crazy to say this, but Scott, I looked up and I'm like, well, February's over. I guess we're into March and March comes with teams start getting eliminated uh, yep. from the postseason. So we'll start having some, uh, some off season content coming as those teams get, get eliminated as well. So it's, uh, you know, it, it just, kind of doesn't stop here and uh the best part of the year is coming for actual games but everything still you know keeps moving as far as transaction windows and the like so we get a lot of stuff uh you know set up to come down the line all right we'll be looking forward to that piece keith on minnesota uh have a great week oh last thing is are you doing front office friday today we are yeah front office friday today where we're back to to fridays we're uh back from uh all-star time off and everything we'll, we'll we'll be having a little bit of fun over there and uh if if you listen to this after uh just know every friday right around right around noon or one eastern or so it's kind of kind of the lunch hour ish time uh trevor lane and i get get going we have a lot of fun on front office friday which is uh taking questions and and uh doing all that stuff with, with all of our uh listeners and viewers so we'll look forward to having you join us over there all right, Keith, we'll talk next week. Have a good one. Thank you. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.